0: Welcome to Knox Bedtime Stories. I'm your friend Joey, here with another episode to help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. It is midnight here, and I hope you had a wonderful day. If you're new to the podcast, welcome to the Knox family. I hope I'm able to bring you some calm, comfort, and a good night's sleep. Right now, nothing exists except you me, this beautiful fireplace, and the warm safe bed, couch, or floor you're laying on. Please be mindful of your mental health. Take a short calming walk at some point during the day. Avoid the news and social media. And try to stay around positive people. And remember to take your medications. Stare in the mirror and say something nice about yourself. While that may sound stupid, it's scientifically proven to work. Tonight, I have a Scottish fairy tale for you called the Dwarfy Stone. Far up in the Green Valley in the island of Hoy, stands an immense boulder. It is hollow inside, and the natives of these northern islands call it the Dwarfy Stone. Because long centuries ago so the legend has it, Snorro the Dwarf lived there. I actually looked this up and the Dwarfy Stain is actually something that exists, much like in the story. I would like to thank our newest Patreon patron, Julie Cloninger. Thank you so much for your support and helping to keep the podcast alive and growing. We still have a long way to go to update my computer and pay the podcast and. Uh, webpage hosting to make the podcast even better, but we're getting there slowly but surely. This week, I added Chapter 11, The Emerald City of Oz, from The Wizard of Oz onto Patreon, so the first 11 chapters are now available to listen to, as well as other patron-only stories and content, and I'll continue to do this every week until the book is done, and then we'll pick another book. If you'd like to support the podcast and help others get a good night's sleep while getting Patreon-only content, you can do so at knoxbedtimestories.com and click the Join Patreon link or patreon.com forward slash noxbedtimestories. I'd also like to thank everyone for subscribing and giving 5-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. We're over 190 5-star reviews now, as well as growing on Spotify. If you think the podcast might help someone you know, share it on Facebook or Twitter to help people find the show. A thumbs up on the Facebook page would be awesome. I need 25 thumbs up before they'll give me a normal page address right now, and we're getting pretty close. So if you go to KnoxBedtimeStories.com and click on the Facebook follow icon and give me a thumbs up, that's a huge help to getting our Facebook community going. Okay, so tonight's bedtime story is called The Dwarfy Stone set to new sleep-inducing music and this beautiful fireplace. If you're not already laying down, please do so in whatever way is comfortable. And let's begin. Far up in the green valley in the island of Hoi stands an immense boulder. It is hollow inside, and the natives of this northern island's call it the Dwarfy Stone, because long centuries ago, so the legend has it, Snoro the Dwarf lived there. Nobody knew where Snoro came from or how long he had been in the dark chamber inside the Dwarfy Stone. All they knew about him was that he was a little man with a queer twisted deformed body and a face of marvelous beauty which never seemed to look any older but was always smiling and young. Men said that this was because Snorro's father had been a fairy, and not a denizen of earth, who had bequeathed to his son the gift of perpetual youth. But nobody knew whether this was true or not, for the dwarf had inhabited the Dwarfy Stone long before the oldest man or woman in Hoy had been born. One thing was certain, however, he had inherited from his mother, whom all men agreed had been mortal, the dangerous qualities of vanity and ambition, and the longer he lived the more vain and ambitious did he become, until at last he always carried a mirror or polished steel round his neck into which he constantly looked in order to see the reflection of his handsome face, and he would not attend to the country people who came to seek his help unless they bound themselves humbly before him and spoke to him as if he were a king. I say that the country people sought his help, for he spent his time, or appeared to spend it, in collecting herbs and simples on the hillsides, which he carried home with him in his dark abode, and distilled medicines and potions from them, which he sold to his neighbors at wondrous high prices. He was also the possessor of a wonderful leathern covered book, clasped with clasps of brass, over which he would pour for hours together and out of which he would tell the simple islanders their fortunes if they would. For they feared the book almost as much as they feared Snorro himself, for it was whispered that it had once belonged to Odin, and they crossed themselves for protection as they named the mighty Enchanter. But all the time they never guessed the real reason why Snorro chose to live in the Dwarfy Stone, I will tell you why he did so. Not very far from the stone there was a curious hill shaped exactly like a wart. It was known as the Wart Hill of Hoy and men said that somewhere in the side of it was hidden a wonderful carbuncle which when it was found would bestow on its finder marvelous magic gifts, health, wealth and happiness. Everything, in fact, that a human being could desire. And the curious thing about this carbuncle was... That it was that it could be seen at certain times... If only the people were looking for it at the right spot at the right moment. Now, Snorro had made up his mind... That he would find this wonderful stone... So while he pretended to spend all his time in reading his great book or distilling medicines from his herbs, he was really keeping a keen lookout during his wanderings, noting every tuft of grass or piece of rock under which it might be hidden. And at night, when everyone else was asleep, he would creep out with his pickaxe and spade, to turn over the rocks or dig over the turf, in the hope of finding the long-sought-for treasure underneath them. He was always accompanied on these occasions by an enormous gray-headed raven who lived in the cave along with him and who was his bosom friend and companion. The islanders feared this bird of ill omen as much, perhaps as they feared its master. For, although they went to consult Snorro in all their difficulties and perplexities, and bought medicines and love potions from him, they always looked upon him with a certain dread, feeling that there was something weird and uncanny about him. Now, at the time we are speaking of was governed by two earls who were half-brothers. Paul the Elder was a tall, handsome man with dark hair and eyes like sloes. All the country people loved him for he was so skilled in knightly exercises and had such a sweet and loving nature that no one could help being fond of him. Old people's eyes would brighten at the sight of him and the little children would run out to greet him as he rode by their mother's doors. And this was the more remarkable because, with all his winning manner, he had such a lack of conversation that men called him Paul the Silent, or Paul the Taciturn. Harold, on the other hand, was as different from his brother as night is from day. He was fair-haired and blue-eyed, and he had gained for himself the name of Harold the Orator, because he was always free of speech and ready with his tongue. But for this he was not a favorite, for he was haughty and jealous, and quick-tempered, and the old folk's eyes did not brighten at the sight of him, and the babes, instead of toddling out to greet him, hid their faces in their mother's skirts when they saw him coming. Harold could not help knowing that the people liked his silent brother best, and the knowledge made him jealous of him, so a coldness sprang up between them. Now it chanced one summer that Earl Harold went on a visit to the King of Scotland, accompanied by his mother. The Countess Helga and her sister, the Countess Frookirk. And while he was at court, he met a charming young Irish lady, the Lady Morna, who had come from Ireland to Scotland to attend upon the Scottish Queen. She was so sweet and good and gentle that Earl Harold's heart was won, and he made up his mind that she and only she should be his bride. But although he had paid her much attention, Lady Morna had sometimes caught glimpses of his jealous temper. She had seen an evil expression in his eyes, and had heard from him speak sharply of his servants, and she had no wish to marry him. So, to his great amazement, she refused the honor which he offered her and told him that she would prefer to remain as she was. Earl Harold ground his teeth in silent rage, but he saw that it was no use pressing his suit at that moment. So what he could not obtain by his own merits, he determined to obtain by guile. Accordingly, he begged his mother to persuade the Lady Morna to go back with them on a visit hoping that when she was alone with him in Orkney, he would be able to overcome her prejudice against him and induce her to become his wife. And all the while, he never remembered his brother Paul. Or if he did, he never thought it possible that he could be his rival. But that was just the very thing that happened. The Lady Morna, thinking no evil, accepted the Countess Helga's invitation, and no sooner had the party arrived back in Orkney than Paul, charmed with the grace and beauty of the fair Irish maiden, fell head over ears in love with her, and the Lady Morna, from the very first hour that she saw him, returned his love. Of course... This state of things could not long go on hidden, and when Harold realized what had happened, his anger and jealousy knew no bounds. Seizing a dagger, he rushed up to the turret where his brother was sitting in his private apartments and threatened to stab him to the heart if he did not promise to give up all thoughts of winning the lovely stranger. But Paul met him with pleasant words. "'Calm thyself, brother,' he said. "'It is true that I love the lady, "'but that is no proof that I shall win her. "'Is it likely that she will choose me, "'whom all men name Paul the Silent, "'when she hath the chance of marrying you, "'whose tongue moves so swiftly "'that to you is given the proud title "'of Harold the Orator?' At these words, Harold's vanity was flattered, and he thought that, after all, his stepbrother was right, and that he had a very small chance, with his meager gift of speech, of being successful in his suit. So he threw down his dagger, and shaking hands with him, begged him to pardon his unkind thoughts and went down the winding stairs again, in high good humor with himself and all the world. By this time, it was coming near to the Feast of Yule, and at that festival, it was the custom for the earl and his court to leave Kirkwall for some weeks, and go to the great palace of Orphir, nine miles distant, and in order to see that everything was ready, Earl Paul took his departure some days before the others. The evening before he left, he chanced to find the Lady Morna sitting alone in one of the deep windows of the great hall. She had been weeping, for she was full of sadness at the thought of his departure, and the sight of her distress, the kind-hearted young Earl could no longer contain himself. But folding her in his arms, he whispered to her how much he loved her and begged her to promise to be his wife. She agreed willingly. Hiding her rosy face on his shoulder, she confessed that she had loved him from the very first day that she had seen him. And ever since that moment, she had determined that if she could not wed him, she would wed no other man. For a little time they sat together, rejoicing in their newfound happiness. Then Earl Paul sprang to his feet. "'Let us go and tell the good news to my mother and my brother,' he said. Harold may be disappointed at first, for, I know, sweetheart, he would fain have had thee for his own. But his good heart will soon overcome all that, and he will rejoice us also.' But the Lady Morna shook her head. She knew better than her lover that Earl Harold's feelings would be, and she would fain put off the evil hour. Let us hold our peace till after Yule, she pleaded. It will be a joy to keep our secret to ourselves. For a little space, there will be time enough then to let all the world know. Rather reluctantly, Earl Paul agreed. And the next day he set off for the palace at Orpheer, leaving his lady love behind him. Little he guessed the danger he was in, for all unknown to him, his step aunt, Countess Falkirk, had chanced to be in the hall the evening before, hidden behind a curtain, and she had overheard every word that Mourner and he had spoken and her heart was filled with black rage. For she was a hard, ambitious woman, and she had always hated the young Earl, who was no blood relation to her, and who stood in the way of his brother, her own nephew. For if Paul were only dead, Harold would be the sole Earl of Orkney. And now that he had stolen the heart of the Lady Morna, whom her own nephew loved her hate and anger knew no bounds she had hastened off to her sister's chamber as soon as the lovers had parted and there the two women had remained talking together till the chilly dawn broke the sky Meredith Williams Countess Frawkirk hidden behind a curtain overheard every word Next day, a boat went speeding over the narrow channel of the water that separates Pomona on the mainland from Hoy. In it sat a woman, but who she was or what she was like, no one could say, for she was covered from head to foot with a black cloak and her face was hidden behind a thick dark veil. Snorro the dwarf knew her, even before she laid aside her trappings, for Countess Frawkirk was no stranger to him. In the course of her long life, she had often had occasion to seek his aid to help her in her evil deeds, and she had always paid him well for his services in yellow gold. He therefore welcomed her gladly, but when he had heard the nature of her errand, His smiling face grew grave again, and he shook his head. I have served thee well, lady, in the past, he said, but methinks that this thing goeth beyond my courage. For to compass an earl's death is a weighty matter, especially when he is so well beloved as is the earl Paul. Thou knowest why I have taken up my abode in this lonely spot. How I hope some day to light upon the magic of the carbuncle. Thou knowest also how the people fear me, and hate me too, forsooth. And if the young earl died, and the suspicion fell on me, I must needs fly the island, for my life would not be worth a grain of sand. Then my chance of success would be gone. Nay, I cannot do it, lady, I cannot do it. But the wily countess offered him much gold, and bribed him higher and higher, first with wealth, then with success, and lastly she promised to obtain for him a high post at the court of the King of Scotland, and at that his ambition stirred within him. His determination gave way, and he consented to do what she asked. I will summon my magic loom, he said, and weave a piece of cloth of the finest texture of marvelous beauty. And before I weave it, I will so poison the thread with a magic potion that, when it is fashioned into a garment, whoever puts it on will die ere he hath worn it many minutes. Thou art a clever knave, answered the countess. "'a cruel smile lighting up her evil face, "'and thou shalt be rewarded. "'Let me have a couple of yards of this wonderful web, "'and I will make a bonny waistcoat "'for my fine young earl "'and give it to him as a yuletide gift. "'Then I reckon that he will not see the year out.' "'That will he not,' said Dwarf Snorro, "'with a malicious grin.' and the two parted, after arranging that piece of cloth, should be delivered at the palace of Orpheer on the day before Christmas Eve. Now, when the Countess Frau Kirk had been away upon her wicked errand, strange things were happening at the castle at Kirkwall. For Harold, encouraged by his brother's absence, offered his heart and hand once more to the Lady Morna. Once more she refused him, and in order to make sure that the scene should not be repeated, she told him that she had plighted her troth to his brother. When he heard that this was so, rage and fury were like to devour him. Mad with anger, he rushed from his presence, flung himself upon his horse, and rode away into the direction of the seashore. While he was galloping wildly along, his eyes fell on the snow-clad hills of hoi, rising up across the strip of sea that divided the one island from the other. And his thoughts flew at once to Snorro the dwarf, who he had on occasion as well as his step-aunt to visit in bygone days. I have it, he cried, stupid fool that I was not to think of it at once. I will go to Snorro and buy from him a love potion, which will make my lady Morna hate my precious brother and turn her thoughts kindly towards me. So he made haste to hire a boat, and soon he was speeding over the tossing waters on his way to the island of Hoi. When he arrived, he hurried up the lonely valley to where the Dwarfy Stone stood, and he had no difficulty in finding its uncanny occupant, for Snorra was standing at the hole that served as a door, his raven on his shoulder, gazing placidly at the setting sun. A curious smile crossed his face when, hearing the sound of approaching footsteps, he turned round and his eyes fell on the young noble. What bringeth thee here, said Earl, he asked gaily, for he scented more gold. I come for a love potion, said Harold, and without more ado, he told the whole story to the wizard. I will pay thee for it, he added, if thou wilt give it to me quickly. "'Snora looked at him from head to foot. Blind must the maiden be, Sir Orator, he said, who needeth a love potion to make her fancy so gallant a knight. Earl Harold laughed angrily. It is easier to catch a sunbeam than a woman's roving fancy, he replied. I have no time for jesting. For hearken, old man, there is a proverb that saith, Time and tide wait for no man, so I need not expect the tide to wait for me. The potion I must have, and that instantly. Snorro saw that he was in earnest, so without a word, he entered his dwelling, and in a few minutes, "'returned with a small vial in his hand, "'which was full of a rosy liquid. "'Pour the contents of this into the Lady Morna's wine cup,' he said, "'and I warrant thee that before four and twenty-four hours have passed, "'she will love thee better than thou lovest her now.' "'Then he waved his hand as if to dismiss his visitor.' and disappeared into his dwelling place. Earl Harold made all speed back to the castle, but it was not until one or two days had elapsed that he found a chance to pour the love potion into the Lady Morna's wine cup. But at last, one night at supper, he found an opportunity of doing so, and waving away the little page boy... "'he handed it to her himself. "'She raised it to her lips, "'but she only made a pretense at drinking, "'for she had seen the hated earl fingering the cup, "'and she feared some deed of treachery. "'When he had gone back to his seat, "'she managed to pour the whole of the wine on the floor "'and smiled to herself at the look of satisfaction.' that came over Harold's face as she put down the empty cup. His satisfaction increased, for from that moment she felt so afraid of him that she treated him with great kindness, hoping that by doing so, she could keep his good graces until the court moved to Orfear, and her own true love could protect her. Harold on his side was delighted with her graciousness, For he felt certain that the charm was beginning to work and that his hopes would soon be fulfilled a week later the court removed to the royal palace at Orpheir where earl paul had everything in readiness for the reception of his guests of course he was overjoyed to meet lady morna again and she was overjoyed to meet him for she felt that she was now safe from the unwelcome attentions of Earl Harold. But to the Earl Harold, the sight of their joy was as gall and bitterness, and he could scarcely contain himself, although he still trusted in the efficacy of Snorro the Dwarf's love potion. As for Countess Fraukirk and Countess Helga, They looked forward eagerly to the time when the magic web would arrive, one of which they hoped to fashion a fatal gift for Earl Paul. At last, the day before Christmas Eve, the two wicked women were sitting in the Countess Helga's chamber, talking of the time when Earl Harold would rule alone in Orkney. When a tap came to the window, and looking round... They saw Dwarf Snorro's gray-headed raven perched on the sill, a sealed packet in its beak. They opened the casement, with a hoarse croak the creature, let the packet drop onto the floor. Then it flattened its great wings and rose slowly into the air again, its head turned in the direction of the hoy. With fingers that trembled with excitement, they broke the seal and undid the packet. It contained a piece of the most beautiful material that anyone could possibly imagine, woven in all the colors of the rainbow and sparkling with golden jewels. "'Twill make a bonnie waistcoat!" exclaimed Countess Froggerk with an unholy laugh. The silent Earl will be a broad man when he gets it on. Then, without more ado, they set to work to cut out and out and sew the garment. All that night they worked, and all the next day, till late in the afternoon when they were putting in the last stitches. Hurried footsteps were heard ascending the winding staircase, and Earl Harold burst open the door, his cheeks were red with passion and his eyes were bright for he could not but notice that now that she was safe at Orphir under her true love's protection the lady morna's manner had grown cold and distant again and he was beginning to lose faith in snorro's charm angry and disappointed He had sought his mother's room to pour out his story of vexation to her. He stopped short, however, when he saw the wonderful waistcoat lying on the table, all gold and silver and shining colors. It was like a fairy garment, and its beauty took his breath away. "'For from hast thou purchased that?' he asked, hoping to hear that it was intended for him." "'Tis a Christmas gift for thy brother Paul,' answered his mother. "'And she would have gone on to tell him "'how deadly a thing it was "'had he given her time to speak. "'But her words fanned his fury into madness, "'for it seemed to him "'that this hated brother of his was claiming everything. "'Everything is for Paul. "'I am sick of his very name,' he cried. "'By troth,' He shall not have this, and he snatched the vest from the table. It was in vain that his mother and his aunt threw themselves at his feet, begging him to lay it down, and warning him that there was not a thread in it which was not poisoned. He paid no heed to their words, but rushed from the room and drawing it on, ran downstairs with a reckless laugh, to show the Lady Morna how fine he was. Alas, alas, scarce had he gained the hall, than he fell on the ground in great pain. Everyone crowded around him and the two countesses terrified now by what they had done tried in vain to tear the magic vest from his body. But he felt that it was too late. The deadly poison that had done its work and waving them aside, he turned to his brother, who in great distress, had knelt down and taken him tenderly in his arms. I wronged thee, Paul, he gasped, for thou hast ever been true and kind. Forgive me in thy thoughts, and he added, gathering up his strength for one last effort, and pointing to the two wretched women, who had wrought all this misery, Beware of those two women, for they seek to take thy life. Then his head sank back in his brother's shoulders, and with one long sigh he died. When he learned what had happened, and understood where the waistcoat came from, and for what purpose it had been intended, the anger of the silent earl knew no bounds. He swore a great oath that he would be avenged, not only on Snorro the Dwarf, but also on his wicked stepmother and her cruel sister. His vengeance was balked, however, for in the panic and confusion that followed Harold's death, the two countesses slipped out of the palace and fled to the coast and took a boat in haste to Scotland and where they were much looked up to... and where no one would believe a word against them. But retribution fell on them in the end... as it always does fall... sooner or later on everyone who was wicked... or selfish or cruel. For the Norsemen invaded the land... and their castle was set on fire... and they perished miserably in the flames. When Earl Paul found that he had escaped... He set out in hot haste for the island of Hoi, for he was determined that the dwarf, at least, should not escape. But when he came to the Dwarfy Stone, he found it silent and deserted, all trace of its uncanny occupants having disappeared. No one knew what had become of them. A few people were inclined to think that the dwarf and his raven had accompanied the Countess Falkirk and the Countess Helga on their flight, but the greater part of the islanders held to the belief, which I think was the true one, that the powers of the air spirited Snorro away and shut him up in some unknown place as a punishment for his wickedness, and that his raven accompanied him. At any rate, he was never seen again by any living person, and wherever he went, he lost all chance of finding the magic carbuncle. As for the silent Earl and his Irish sweetheart, they were married as soon as Earl Harold's funeral was over, and for hundreds of years afterwards, when the inhabitants of the Ocney Isles wanted to express great happiness... They said as happy as Earl Paul and the Countess Morna. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the podcast and it helps you sleep and brightens your day, please consider becoming a patron of the show for as little as a dollar a month at KnoxBedtimeStories.com and click on the Patreon link or patreon.com forward slash KnoxBedtimeStories. There are various rewards, and it ensures that the show will be here every Monday for a long time to come. I wish you all a good night's sleep and a happy peaceful life. Good night.